I think one thing that the Bank of Canada is going to keep in mind is that they don't want the loonie to become too strong relative to the U.S. dollar because at the end of the day, we are an export-driven economy. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Markets have taken investors on a wild ride this week with volatility increasing in anticipation of the Bank of Canada and the Fed meeting on the same day, the first meeting for both central banks in 2022. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee and your host Kevin Prince discuss ideas to smooth out the ride for investors as markets react to interest rate news. Our experts also discuss the rising tensions between Ukraine and Russia and the resulting impact on oil and gas. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Welcome back to Views from the Desk. This is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Thank you for joining us once again, where we touch base in this podcast about the various marketplaces and get some insights from our actual portfolio managers in regards to its positioning and what's going on in the market. Today, I have two great guests joining me, Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks, both from BMO ETFs and portfolio managers. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Good to be here. Now, we're going to get right into it today because I think there's a lot of announcements coming out this week. And of course, it's certainly been a volatile week. So let's kick off, guys. You want a conversation around volatility. We've seen it this week. Uh, there's a, definitely a spike in the VIX out there. I, I, you know, fair to say it's been driven by the Ukraine and the overlay of the Fed moves, including uh, you know, pending announcements on interest rates. We all know that staying invested has been proven to be a best approach for the long term. That being said, guys, talk to us about some ideas to help smooth out the ride and give me some thoughts there. Maybe start off with you, Chris, thoughts on uh, equities. And if you can, do me a fixed income. And I've got a follow-up question for you, too. I'm going to give them both to you right now. I want to do a follow-up question saying, someone look at this as an opportunity, too. So where would you put money to work? So smooth out the ride and think about where you put money to work at this time. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, lots of meat on that question. And um, definitely volatility is increasing significantly. But, you know, as you mentioned, volatility also creates opportunity. And this is often when uh, equity investors can get paid is by taking on some of that volatility risk. I think you're right on the money staying invested, but perhaps looking to smooth out the ride this year is, is a good way to look at it. So I'll start with the first question on equities and fixed income. You know, equities in general, you know, we see as an attractive place to be. Equities can provide, you know, a pretty good hedge against inflation and I think are going to help deal with, you know, the number of one kind of concern in market, I think, is is the rising rates where we're looking at this year and are, you know, we're waiting on the Fed as well is going to be making some announcements very shortly. So equities can provide that equity hedge. Um, obviously, they're not don't tend to be as sensitive to interest rates. Now, that being said, we've seen growth uh, be an area where rising interest rates have hampered that sector a little bit. So I'm going to address equities overall from a factor point of view. I think defensive growth is a good place to be. But one one area that I think investors can really look at is value and dividends. Um, if you look at what factors perform the best in rising rate interest and rising rate environments, uh, value is actually a strong performer. 
And dividends by their association to value, which we talk about a lot on this call, but you know, companies with higher dividend yields tend to have a little bit lower prices. So you see this natural connection between dividends and value tend to perform well. If you look at dividends to start the year, and we've got, you know, we have dividend strategies in Canada, US, Europe, high dividend cover calls at a global solution there as well. But all of those, both the dividends and the dividend-based covered calls, outperforming by about 3 to 5% to start the year. So that's, that's a pretty significant jumpstart. And, you know, we're only, you know, we're only a month in into, you know, what is likely going to be a continuation of this theme, rising interest rates, additional volatility throughout the year. So really like being there. On the covered call side, obviously, that gives us an opportunity to monetize some of that volatility. All things being equal, the, the higher the volatility, the more we can turn that into tax-efficient option premium and add that you know, 3 to 4% in additional yield on top of the dividend yield. So I think that's an attractive area for investors to, to look at. Um, I'd also flag from a factor point of view quality and low volatility. Starting with quality, you know, there's a little more growth in quality, but it tends to be real cash-rich, strong balance sheet growth. So not as going to be susceptible is that kind of more growthy growth, if I can say that. These quality companies have very low uh, levels of debt. And obviously, as interest rates go up, they're, they're less hampered by that. But still an attractive profitability profile. So I like quality as well. And I think low volatility is one where, you know, coming off the week that we've had, where we've seen, a, you know, a couple of pretty solid risk off days, you know, you can be reminded of having some low volatility in your portfolio. Um, can be very effective. Works very well in Canada, as we know, with ZLB, uh, but also in the U.S. and EFI, you can have some low volatility there to buffer against unforeseen incomes. Now, um, moving to fixed income, you know, I'll be, I'll try and be short and sweet here, but you know, fixed income. I think the core is is your ZAG and your ZDB. We're going to talk about it on our upcoming ETF forum, which we'll mention later in the call. Um, but you know, I think I think one of you know for me, you know, it's it's about not getting too cute. With fixed income, you know, just save cost, lower your fees. These are very, very low cost ETFs. You know, I think one danger with fixed income is there's a tendency to go too short duration right now. Um, but remember that these interest rate hikes are going to affect the short end as well. So um, having a balanced duration profile, having a balanced, you know, corporate versus government, you know, it's just a good place to be. And that longer duration, you know, things go off with equities. That's what it's there for. And so think of fixed income as really capital preservation. In terms of adding to return with, with fixed income, you know, I personally like uh, ZPR, uh, rate reset preferreds that benefit from higher five-year rates, all things being equal, U.S. preferreds, ZHP. Um, and I think there's still some room to run in high yield, the ZFH, like, which, which has no, you know, essentially very little duration. So that's kind of the overall positioning. And then you know, just a couple sectors of places of interest, um, banks still, you know, the Canadian banks are you know, hit some volatility recently in the kind of the recent market, but, you know, look at them. They're still really fundamentally sound. We're just coming off major dividend increases. They're yielding about three, three, uh, 3.75 dividend yield right now. You know, there's probably more dividend to growth to come. Um, there's, there's a lot of cash on balance sheets, you know, and we saw some banks increase their dividends less than others. I think some still have room to do catch up. So I think 10% dividend growth, not out of the question at all at all takes Canadian banks to a 4% dividend yield. And historically, that's an attractive level to be and the wind is at their back. So Canadian banks, ZEB, ZWB, US banks, I like the ZWK. So that's the cover call US banks. The option 
market is just so attractive right now. And, and in the U.S., there's just so much premium there. So I like buffering those returns and buffering the higher volatility profile of the U.S. banks with that cover call overlay. So I really like the ZWK in that one. And uh, last but not least, I'd throw in ZGI, Kevin, our global infrastructure ETF. Maybe not the most exciting ETF, but global infrastructure gives you, uh, you know, a nice hedge against in- inflation. You know, it's one of our longer tenured ETFs. It's got a full 10-year track record, and it's averaging 11% a year. So that's not a bad outcome for something that's going to be seen as a little bit something lower risk on your equity side of your portfolio, something that's going to you know, be a nice complement to your overall portfolio. Obviously, inflation is going to be in demand as stimulus from the fiscal side still continues to work through. So like to that GI as well. So I'll, uh, I'll turn it back to you uh, on that. Thanks for those insights, Chris. Very much appreciated. I do think you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a choppy market going forward. So uh, definitely appreciate the ideas around positioning. You asked, we delivered. BMO ETFs is excited to announce the launch of 10 new tickers featuring a range of solutions, providing innovation in fixed income, climate-focused equities, income innovation and asset allocation, and a new series providing choice of T6 payout and U.S. dollar income for greater flexibility in portfolio construction. For more information, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard, bmoetfs.ca. Alfred, let me turn to you, because today is going to be announcement day. We've got the Bank of Canada, of course, coming out this morning. We've got the Fed coming out this afternoon with their announcements. I guess I you know, want to turn to you and get your thoughts in regards towards fixed income. But specifically, you know, has a lot of these movements been already priced in with a flattening yield curve we're seeing right now? Give us some thoughts and insights around maybe some longer-term positioning there, please. Yeah, so uh, good question, Kevin. So uh, definitely a very central bank-focused day today. So as you mentioned, we got the Bank of Canada at, at 10 a.m. today, uh, so just after this call, and then the Fed at 2 p.m. as well. So definitely all eyes will be on both of the central banks today. Uh, so when you look at the Bank of Canada in terms of what the market is pricing in, uh, they're pricing in a 74% chance that we're going to get a rate hike by the Bank of Canada. Um, so if we don't get one today, um, you know, March is definitely certainly a guarantee. Um, I think the Bank of Canada has to do a rate hike either today or March in order to, you know, send a message to the market to show, um, you know, the market that they are, you know, serious of, of, about, you know, taming inflation um, in order to get some credibility from the economy as well. Um, so in, on the Fed side, you know, the Fed is expected to wind down its tapering still. Um, so they're expected to make their first uh, rate hike possibly as early as March. Uh, but keep in mind, you know, whether the Fed and the Bank of Canada, even if they don't move today, I think the market will re, you know, can can react to a degree depending on the forward guidance that they provide. Um, so I think a lot of people, they will be looking for, you know, whether they change their tone, whether they're going to become more hawkish. Um, there is an expectation that the Fed potentially will outline um, a 50 basis point cut or 50 basis point uh, rate hike, um, sorry, at uh, some point in the future. So just outlining that that is potentially in their playbook as well. Uh, but I think overall, you know, I think if the once the Fed and the Bank of Canada moves, I think we're going to get an overshoot uh, just in terms of, you know, the expectations from the market. When you look at the Bank of Canada especially and what the market is pricing in right now, the Bank of Canada 
The market is pricing in six rate hikes by the Bank of Canada, three to four uh, rate hikes by the Fed uh, in 2022. But when you look at you know Canada especially, I think Canada to a degree is handcuffed in terms of you know how quickly they could uh, move rates. Um, also, how you know there is a limitation in terms of you know to what point they could move rates as well. When you look at household debt in Canada, you know still at historical levels. So I think if you know rates move too quickly, um, it is going to have an impact in terms of you know um, a lot of families that have overextended on credit, overextended on mortgages. So it will definitely have an impact. On top of that, I think you know when you look at Canada and its monetary policy. It's never independent. It's, it's also you know, dependent on what the Fed does as well. Um, I think one thing that the Bank of Canada is going to keep in mind is that they don't want the loonie to, be, to become you know, too strong relative to the U.S. dollar because we, at the end of the day, we are an export-driven economy. And you know, when you look at why the central banks are or the expectations of the central banks and, and why they're expected to tighten so quickly, it's because of inflation. Um, but when you look at inflation, you know, a big part of why we're seeing inflation is monetarily driven. Uh, but it's also due to a lot of the supply side or the supply chain issues that we've seen, disruptions in manufacturing, uh, disruptions in logistics as well. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at um, inflation over the next six to eight months, I think even in rising interest rates, we potentially do continue to see sustained inflation. And the reason why is because, you know, if you look at the potential path for COVID, you know, if we continue to see more lockdowns, continue to see more um, uh, disruptions in manufacturing, um, that's going to have an impact in, in terms of the supply side of the equation. However, if we move towards an endemic, so the U.S. has announced that they're no longer going to do any more lockdowns, uh, Spain and the U.K. is already moving towards, you know, treating COVID as if it's a common cold. Uh, BC also made an announcement over the weekend that they're going to treat COVID as you know, more like a common cold as well. So if that's the path towards COVID, what's going to happen is that the economy is going to open up. We're going to see the demand outstrip supply as well. So either way, I think we're going to see sustained inflation. So I think, you know, what the central banks have to really be cautious about is, you know, if they raise rates too quickly, it potentially chokes out the economy without really solving for inflation. So I think, you know, potentially if they do do that, that does leave the economy in the worst um, a worse state, which is potentially stagflation. So again, I think the central banks are going to be a lot more calculated than people think. Um, I think the path towards higher rates is going to be a lot more gradual. So, you know, do we see six rate hikes by the Bank of Canada? Potentially, but, you know, some of those rate hikes potentially get pushed uh, to 2023. So um, I think in terms of the yield curve, uh, potentially as the year progresses, what happens is uh, the mid part of the curve potentially starts to move up faster than the short end of the curve. So uh, in terms of portfolio positioning and, and what to do in the fixed income market, I still think you know, the very short end of the curve is a good way to park uh, money. So things like you know, ZST, which is our ultra short uh, corporate bond ETF, uh, ZUS, uh, which is the US version of that, I think that's a good uh, area to park cash and protect from you know, rising interest rates. Uh, ZPR, as Chris mentioned, I think is a good way to protect against uh, rising rates and offset a lot of that traditional you know, duration risk that you see in the traditional fixed income portfolio. But overall, I think in overall portfolio positioning, I think you have to be overweight equities at this point. Equities will outperform when rates are rising. Uh, equities do have you know, historically outperformed during inflationary periods as well. 
but I think in terms of sector positioning, I, I, I do agree with Chris where I think uh, Canadian banks is, is a good way to play this right now. So even outside of rising interest rates, I think when you look at the valuations of the banks, Canadian banks definitely look very attractive right now. And especially as, um, you know, when you look at the dividend yield compared to the overall market, uh, still very attractive as well. So I think Canadian banks is a good way to play it. Um, but overall, I think you have to be overweight equities at this point. Thanks, Alfred. Appreciate your insights there. And I, I, I have to agree. I think it's a lot more complicated when you start thinking about the uh, potential of the Fed and they have to think about also the implications towards the economy and overshooting is an interesting angle too, for that matter. Thanks for that. Chris, I'm going to come to you and I want to talk to you about, um, you know, same with the, the theme of, of interest rates, looking at China and China made a slightly different announcement last week where they're actually talking about rate decreases and further stimulation towards the, their economy. You know, give us your thoughts and perspective on that announcement and then maybe, you know, what to look for positioning around it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, um, lots going on in the world and, and that's certainly that's true in EM as well. EM had a tough year in 2021, really driven by China. China was down to about 20% and China's about 40% of the EM index. So EM was about flat last year, which was you know, a little bit of a disappointment, to be frank, because given, the, you know, generally the other markets had strong equity upside. Um, going back to that point, volatility and, and, and sell-offs create opportunity. Um, so let's, you know, work through that. Um, if you look at China, you know, I think they're still working through a lot of credit issues and, and Evergrande is still still an issue. The good thing, as you note, um, is that government support has been pretty strong and now they're announcing rate decreases to help improve that credit profile, reliquidate the system. So the government's taking a very active role to manage in that. And I think that's a, that, that's a definite positive for, for investors. Uh, you know, geopolitically, kind of the focus has moved off China in the last you know, couple of weeks. Now we're, we're looking at Russia and Ukraine. So that's, that's something to watch as well. But you know, going back to China, they're hosting uh, the Olympics uh, shortly, I think in a couple of weeks, right? And that's going to naturally bring the focus back onto China, you know, some of those human rights issues, some of those things that, um, you know, aggravate the U.S. Um, will probably come back into, into China. I think overall what investors want to see is, A, as you mentioned, fiscal support and, and monetary support, and I think that's there. But B, you know, it's that overreach of government regulation that has tended to be uh, a negative impact. You look at EM as a whole, you know, with rising rates, probably not, you know, a driver of return in EM. So I would say overall, looking at EM, you know, it's tough to be overweight right now, but um, I would still say there's there's a, there's a lot of um, opportunity here. So I think having some emerging markets in the portfolio, you know, can help take advantage of this opportunity. So that EM is a fantastic ETF to do that, uh, low cost and a really strong record of, of, of performance you know, looking at its Morningstar category. Really what I like about ZEM is consistent performance. So um, having the index approach here, you know, you manage that risk of certain countries being more exposed one versus the other. So um, I do think it's, it's good to see from China. I think investors want to see a little bit more, but I think given the relative sell-off, the relative valuation, and obviously we all know China's a strong economy and, you know, that's going to continue going forward. I don't think there's any question of that. You know, um, I think there's there's a good opportunity there. So I think investors can can definitely consider some ZEM. Like I said, I don't know that I'm I'm, I'm convinced to go go significantly overweight at this point. 
and we'll see what happens with Russia and Ukraine. And that could, you know, trigger a little bit of volatility. But, you know, again, um, you know, maybe looking for an entry point over the next month or so um, to have some exposure could be beneficial for clients. And, and ZEM, again, I think is, you know, a lot of people will say don't be passive in emerging markets, but I think the track record proves it out that having that passive index approach you know, could really be beneficial in emerging markets. Save the date, BMO podcast listeners. Starting January the 27th, the BMO ETF team will begin streaming a limited three-part series where BMO experts will share comprehensive research and timely, actionable ideas to position your clients for the future. Register now at BMOETFsForum.com. That's B-M-O-E-T-F-S-F-O-R-U-M.com. You know what? I do want to stay with uh, Russia and Ukraine a little bit more if we can. Bringing you in on this, Alfred, because I want to put a focus a little bit here on the conversation around uh, oil and gas and take a little deeper look at that, given the tension coming out of uh, the Russia and Ukraine. And hand in hand with that, we're certainly seeing observations, you know, from OPEC and the Russian-led partners out there that they all promised to increase production to pre-pandemic levels this year. But, you know, it's falling short right now, their public commitments. So, Give us your thoughts. This is creating opportunity in this sector. We've certainly seen volatility this week in this sector. Give us some more thoughts, please. Yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities in the energy space right now. I think, you know, outside of Canadian banks, I think, you know, energy is definitely, you know, one of those sectors in Canada that I think is, you know, very well positioned at this point. Um, So when you look at energy, um, what it's done year to date. So when you look at, you know, WTI, which is, you know, crude oil, uh, that's up 18.3% already year to date. Uh, natural gas is also up, you know, 15%. So when you look at our equal weight oil and gas ETF, that's up 10.2% year to date already. Uh, when you compare that to the, you know, broader TSX, which is down 3%, uh, that definitely has provided an area for um, investors in order to, you know, get some shelter, uh, despite the volatility that we're seeing in the overall market. But in terms of, you know, Russia and Ukraine, um, I think this definitely is a story that, you know, potentially causes um, energy prices to go higher and, you know, potential disruptions that we're seeing in um, supply potentially coming out of Russia as well. So, you know, when you look at, you know, the conflicts that we see in the region, you know, keep in mind that uh, the U.S. and NATO um, are supporting the Ukraine. Um, so if Putin, Putin does decide to invade, uh, NATO will definitely have some, you know, repercussions that they're going to um, inflict on Russia. So potentially, you know, removing uh, Russia from SWIFT global payment system, for example, which would definitely, you know, have a pretty huge impact on Russia, potentially sending them into a recession. So, um, if this does transpire, what's going to happen is Russia will likely retaliate by cutting off, you know, energy supplies to the world. So, you know, keep in mind when you look at Russia, it it does provide about 40% of the natural gas supplies to Europe. When you look at certain countries like Austria. Finland and Lithuania, they're entirely dependent on Russia. So this is definitely going to you know, have a negative impact in terms of you know, supply to those countries and that the overall European region as well. Um, in terms of the oil space, Russia is also one of the largest oil suppliers in the world as well. Um, over the last couple of months, even when you look at certain countries, Germany, for example, uh, Germany, even though they are you know, a part of NATO, they are one of the biggest buyers of Russian energy. So that's why they remain silent and remain on the the sidelines um, over the last couple of months. So um, overall, you know, when you look at the expectations for oil, 
you know, we were chatting on this call uh, before we went live, just in terms of, you know, what people were pricing in in terms of oil prices. JP Morgan is is calling for $150 oil um, over the next two years. So pretty bullish call. Um, I don't know whether we get there or not, but, you know, without a doubt, I think oil prices are going to remain high, you know, over the next several years. But, you know, when you mentioned, you know, this, the shortage in supply in terms of, you know, OPEC falling short of their promised targets. Uh, what's going on there is because, you know, OPEC nations are already having a hard time in terms of increasing production at this point. Um, as we all know, there's been very little new capital expenditures placed towards, you know, traditional fossil fuel. So even when you look at Saudi Arabia, for example, which has been, you know, a mass supplier of oil, uh, they've been a savior essentially in you know, the previous energy crisis. Uh, they're already near capacity at this point. So, you know, in terms of them ramping up um, their short-term supply, it's going to be very limited just because they are nearing capacity at this point. They're also exploring, you know, diversifying away from, you know, being an oil exporting nation. So they're, you know, committing capital towards clean energy, nuclear. Um, so again, this is going to become a constraint in the future in terms of how much they could raise uh, capacity in order to boost um, supply. So overall, I think, you know, when you look at the supply chain shortages for oil, I think this is, you know, uh, this is going to be an ongoing theme um, in terms of what we're what we're going to see, not just in over you know, the next year, but also the next decade as well. I think, you know, as I mentioned, because there's very little capital expenditure placed towards, you know, traditional fossil fuel um, until we get to, you know, being entirely dependent on clean energy. So a lot of talks about clean energy. Uh, but in, I think until we get there, which is going to take a decade, maybe two decades, what's going to fill that supply gap is going to be traditional fossil fuels. So I think overall, that's going to be bullish for oil prices in general, for also for uh, also for natural gas. I think all of this is going to be bullish for Canadian energy. So keep in mind that you know Canada is a higher cost producer for energy for oil. So I think this is going to be good for you know ZEO, which is our equal weight oil and gas ETF. Um, I think this is a good way to play the energy sector. You know, the dividend yield on this ETF is about 3%, equally weighted. So it's a good way to get a more pure exposure to that sector. It's going to be less driven by individual names. And as I mentioned, I think besides banks, I think, you know, uh, Canadian energy is one of those areas that potentially will protect against, you know, the volatility that is anticipated or we're expected to see from the market at least for the first half of the year. Uh, and also, last but not least, when you look at oil, it does provide some degree of inflation protection as well. So I think, uh, as I mentioned, I think ZEO, which is our equal weight oil and gas ETF, that's a good way to play uh, the energy story right now. Alfred, thanks for that insight. That was uh, in-depth and good perspective in regards towards the opportunity in regards to oil and gas. Gentlemen, what I want to do uh, to close out this session today is you both are well aware that we have the economic forum, the ETF economic forum, starting tomorrow, Thursday, again on Tuesday of next week, and then following Thursday, closing it out. And each of you are involved in different panels, either to be income insights, portfolio construction, or innovation ETFs. Do me a favor. Can you both just give me a quick little sample of some of the key things that people can look forward to in those conversations? Yeah, I can start off. Um, you know, I think we had a really good conversation on, on our panel uh, focusing on income. And, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, happy to be joined by uh, BMO Capital Markets and RBC, Jimmy Karam and Albert Atagu, some 
uh, traders from those uh, ETF market making desks, and really just looking at income across uh, across equities, across fixed income. You know how we're going to navigate uh, rising interest rates and hedging against inflation. Um, you know uh, some of the some of which you know, we've obviously talked about today. You know we touch on dot use. Definitely talk about dividends and cover calls. So um, I was very, it was a very, you know, it's going to be a very good conversation. And um, and uh, I believe that one's coming out tomorrow. So, um, you know, encourage everyone to tune in. And if you don't have the invite, please reach out to us and we'll certainly get that to you. But uh, excited for that one as well as, as all the other panels. As, as, as well, and Alfred, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, so uh, exciting panel on my end as well. So uh, the panel I had was focused on portfolio construction. So a very lively debate between uh, myself, uh, Alex Perel, who is a market maker at Scotia. I'm going to butcher his name, but Ian DeVertiles, uh, who is the head of portfolio strategy at CABC World Markets, uh, moderated by Erica Toth, who is an ETF specialist out of Montreal. But, you know, again, we, we focused on a lot of the topical headlines. So, you know, rising interest rates, inflation, uh, U.S. midterms, the impact on, you know, the equity market. Uh, the Russia and Ukraine tensions. Um, so overall, just based on these headlines, how do you overall construct a portfolio? Areas to overweight, certain factors to look at. Uh, so we address, you know, what to do with equities, bonds, and also alternatives as well. So again, you know, looking forward to this, uh, you know, panel as well. Um, I think this one is in early February, so be on the lookout for that as well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that additional insight. And I also look forward to the ETF Economic Forum. For those of you out there who want to register for the ETF Economic Forum, no problem. Just go to bmoetfs.ca. There's a little ad right in the middle there. Just click on it and you can go right to the registration. And I will highlight, too, that the content will be up there for the next month, too. So if you can't, don't get a chance to attend the live set of the session that we have at 1 o'clock, we can certainly have you attend any other time that's more convenient for you. Gentlemen, thank you both Alfred and Chris for your time today. I'm going to thank the listeners for also joining us today. We'll be back here next week. Thank you again. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prinz, Chris Heeks, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about investment strategies to not only mitigate, but take advantage of volatility, including the BMO Equal Weight Banks Index ETF, ZEB, which has fared well through the volatility in the past week, not to mention the pandemic as a whole. Our experts also discussed the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets Index ETF, ticker ZEM, as a tactical tool with a low cost and consistent performance during this volatile period. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.